0: Welcome to episode 172 of Reclaiming the Faith.
1: Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. This week we'll be looking at the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18.
0: You can find links to all of my resources at philsbaker.com. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive review on our Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith.
1: You can check out my catalog of podcasts on my show, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker.
0: Also, I've got a new book, The Final Abominable Temple, which you can purchase in audio, digital, hardback, and paperback formats on Amazon. And if you've read it, please consider leaving a review there as well.
1: And finally, we are blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency. And you can find links to all of our content there at omegafrequency.com.
0: All right, let's get into episode 172. Okay, well, since this is an early Christian podcast, and we're talking about the return of Jesus, I wanted to start this just right off the bat with an early Christian quote. And what we're gonna be looking at is a document called the Didache. And this is the last chapter of the Didache. And this is the only chapter in the Didache that talks about eschatological matters. So end time stuff. And it gives a pretty succinct description of the early Christian view of eschatology just kind of in a nutshell. And basically what you got a lot of is Matthew 24 and 25 with a little bit of Paul interspersed, okay? So I'm gonna read this to you. And what we're gonna find as uh, as we go through this, I want you to think about different signs uh, that correspond with the return of Jesus that you see included here in the Didache, okay? So... In the last days, false prophets and corruptors will multiply and the sheep will turn into wolves and love will be turned into hate. As lawlessness increases, men will hate and persecute and betray one another. And then the deceiver of the world will appear as a son of God and will do signs and wonders and the earth will be delivered into his hands. He will commit abominations which have never been since the world began. Then all mankind will come to the fire of testing and many will fail and perish. But those who endure to the end in their faith will be saved by him who was accursed. And then shall the signs, plural, the signs of the truth appear. First, a sign of a rift in the heavens, then a sign of a voice of a trumpet, and thirdly, the resurrection of the dead. Yet, not of all, but as it was said, the Lord shall come with all his saints with him. Then shall the world see the Lord coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and dominion to repay each man according to his works with justice before all men and the angels. It's a lot. yeah. But just to kind of restate, okay? So you've got this apostasy going on, Mm -hmm. sheep turning into wolves, the deceiver of the world appears. So the Antichrist comes, okay? He commits the abomination of desolation, all right? And uh, then you have this great tribulation period but then you see these three great signs of the truth that appear. You have the heavens split open. You have this great trumpet blast. Then you have the resurrection of the dead and the Lord coming with all his holy ones. And then everyone sees the Lord coming with all his holy ones, with the resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. And he's coming in the clouds. And then there's this great judgment that happens. Okay. That's the Didache. Yeah. That stuff sound familiar with what we've been reading about in 1 Thessalonians? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Very much lines up with the timeline.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see more of that stuff as we get into 2 Thessalonians for sure. But let's get into 1 Thessalonians. Now we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians 4. And today we're looking just at verses 13 through 18. So, Steph, go ahead.
1: But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words.
0: All right. So, remember from chapter three that Paul said that there were some things still lacking in the Thessalonians' faith Mm -hmm. and that he wanted to visit them to speak about these things face to face. But until then, he would like write about them. So, One of those things was like their need for personal holiness, specifically in the realm of sexual purity, right? We talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. Then today we're talking about a specific issue regarding the return of Jesus, a question that they had. All right. So Paul says, We don't want you to be. uninformed brethren about those who are asleep. So something, uh, is troubling them about those who are quote unquote asleep. Now, uh, does this mean people that are literally sleeping? (laughs) Like what's going on with them? Well, no, probably not. Probably not. Because in verse 14, uh, well, in verse thirteen, we we still see we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep, so that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. Well, why are they grieving? Who, wh- who are why are they grieving people who are sleeping? If people who are sleeping are just sleeping, they're going to wake up, mm-hmm. right? Well, verse fourteen says, "For we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, he will b- bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus." So, just like Jesus died, these people who are quote unquote asleep are also those who have died, but they've died in Jesus. So, this is a common tradition, uh, this word sleep. You see it applied in Mark 5. Do you remember the story of Jairus? Okay. Right? His daughter? Yeah, Jairus' synagogue daughter, Uh, is synagogue leader, I'm sorry. And Jairus comes to Jesus and he says that his little daughter is sick. Please come uh, and you can heal her, right? Now on the way, you have a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus gets touched by her like the fringe of his garment. She touches, Mm -hmm. believing in that uh, Malachi 4 prophecy, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. So now Jesus has been in the thoughts of many, rendered unclean. Even if he was a person who could heal, he could not heal any longer. Then Jairus' friends come and say, hey, your daughter has died. Jesus is like, don't worry, just believe, mm-hmm. right? So he gets to the house in Mark 5, you know, all the people are weeping, but Jesus is like, why are you weeping? The little girl is not dead. She's just asleep. Instantly, they start laughing at him.
1: Mm-hmm yeah
0: they're like nobody <laughs> right and and yet he's like no no she's gonna she's gonna rise
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he he does raise her from the dead, but we see Jesus using this term asleep you see that also happen with uh john uh in John chapter eleven with uh jesus' cousin lazarus so Jesus gets word that Lazarus is very, very sick. He waits four days and he's like, let's go, let's go to our buddy Lazarus, you know, cause our buddy Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he's gonna wake up. And then Jesus is like, look, Lazarus is dead. Right. So see Jesus using it that way. Then in uh, Matthew 22, Jesus is being confronted by the Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection. And they have this whole debate with him about um, whose wife will this woman be who is married to several different men, Mm -hmm. right? In the resurrection. And Jesus says in the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, right? For is it not written, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for God is not the God of the living, but of, sorry, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all are alive to him. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And so that would lend credence to why Jesus would call them sleeping because they are very much alive in his presence. Mm -hmm. Was anything coming to your mind when, about this word sleep versus dead?
1: Oh, I mean, I always kind of took it as like, just like a euphemism sort mm-hmm. of thing but um but that makes sense why he's referring to these believers specifically in that way i just kind of thought so there's not like any reference to falling asleep referring to somebody who was not a follower of jesus or something like that in the bible
0: um, I don't, I don't think so. But you know, when we're thinking about people dying, like if mm-hmm. you think about Lazarus and the rich man parable in Luke, uh, the word "sleep" is not used for Lazarus, um, but he died. They both died. The mm-hmm. word "the word died" is okay. used for both of them. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, they are both conscious, though. Mm. So Lazarus is conscious. Um, in joy in in peace, in quote unquote Abraham's bosom, okay, right? So he is very much aware and in peace there mm-hmm. in Abraham's bosom. uh, the rich man is conscious also, but in torment,
1: yeah, okay, sorry, I got lost for a second. I thought you were still speaking of his cousin for a second. you no, switched over in, to the parable in Luke. okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, no, that's good.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, let's, um, let's keep going. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4 is clearly Paul giving the Thessalonians some new information because he says, I don't want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep. So Paul is giving the Thessalonians new information, but is he giving them new information about the return of Jesus or about those who have fallen asleep? Is he answering a very specific question? Some people believe that Paul is giving them new information about a you know, secret coming of Jesus known as the rapture. Now that term is in the Latin translation of 1 Thessalonians 4, rapture, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a fine word. There's nothing wrong with that word. It's a descriptive, a good Latin descriptive word. But um, in terms of this secret catching away, um, and that being the new information that Paul is given, I don't think that's the case. And one of the reasons for that, well, We'll get into all the things that surround this word parousia in a minute. But uh, one of the reasons why I don't think Paul is giving them new information about the return of Jesus is uh, because of what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses one through five. So Stephanie, would you turn there? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses one through five. Now in this, Paul is gonna talk about the return of Jesus. And are being gathered to Him. Very similar language, the church being gathered to Him, um, and some other things along the way. Okay, so all the way to verse through verse five.
1: Okay, yeah. who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things?
0: Okay. Now, in verse 1, he talks about the parousia, which is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and our being gathered to him. Yeah. That's what he's talking about in First Thessalonians 4. Right. the the parousia of Jesus and are being gathered together to him. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians 2, that he already talked to them about this when he was with them. So Mm face-to-face, when he was with them, there was only one visit to to the Thessalonians that Paul made that we're aware of. Timothy made a visit face-to-face, but a second visit, but Paul only made one that we're aware of. So, Paul already talked to them about what we know of as the rapture. Okay. That is not new information in 1 Thessalonians 4. That was already discussed. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. So, what is this new information? Um, I think... It's all about what has happened to the people who have died and gone to be with Jesus. What will happen to them when he returns? Let me read you a couple of quotes, okay? So this first is from the New International Commentary of the New Testament. It's a very well-respected commentary, um, word-for-word commentary. This is from Gordon Fee, another well-respected commentator. So he says about this, quote, we may rightly assume therefore that this issue comes from the Thessalonian believers themselves and was brought back to Paul by Timothy. At issue appears to be what has happened to some among us who have died before the coming of the Lord. Paul's answer is in fact relatively plain and simple. Believers who have died Will be raised to join the living at christ's coming unquote, yeah, you got any thoughts on that
1: no, I mean that seems that seems fairly clear. I mean, I can see how if you were taking it apart from the other passage and stuff that you could think it was new information, but he's just or that that the uh the rapture part or the being what was the the phrasing being gathered up or whatever is new. But yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so let me give you one more. So this is F.F. Bruce, another just well-respected commentator. And this is from the Word Biblical Commentary. So this is an even deeper, uh, more nerdy uh, commentary. Excellent. Okay, so yeah, he says, quote, this subsection provides an answer to a question asked, whether orally or by letter, by the Thessalonian church. The writer's reply, Paul's reply to the Thessalonian question about the lot of the faithful departed seems to draw on a primitive Christian tradition of eschatological teaching, which can be discerned also in the Olivet Discourse of the Synoptic Gospels, especially in its Mathean form. Let me pause, okay? It's a lot of big words, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's basically saying this section of Thessalonians, okay, is an answer, is Paul answering a question whether he, Paul received this question through Timothy um, by the Thessalonians telling Timothy to pass on this question. Because remember, Timothy like visited the Thessalonians. Paul in chapter three is like, when we could bear it no longer, we sent Timothy to find out about your faith. Right. Remember this, right? Mm-hmm. So while Timothy was there, the Thessalonians were like, hey, we got a question we want you to ask Paul while you're there. So they either wrote it down and Timothy delivered it to Paul, or they told it to Paul or told it to Timothy
2: mm-hmm.
0: and Timothy relayed it orally. Okay. That's all that Bruce is saying here. Mm-hmm. It's just basic stuff that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Otherwise, how would Paul know that they're uninformed about this critical issue? Right. That's Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's just trying to answer a question that they have. So then Bruce is saying, so Paul's reply is not drawing on new information because Paul says this stuff, this answer I'm giving you is a word by a word of the Lord. That's what your translation says mm-hmm. in the ESV. The NAS says, by the word of the Lord. Okay. So because of that, just like at the beginning of he, he says the same basic phrase at the at the beginning of chapter four when he's talking about sexual purity. And we showed how Je- that's a Jesus tradition as well, okay. that you remain sexually pure. Uh-huh. That's a word from Jesus as well. Paul's trying to teach them what Jesus taught. Uh-huh. Well, now he's continuing to teach them what Jesus taught. Okay? okay? So, Bruce and many other commentators say that here Paul is drawing on the Olivet Discourse, which is one of Jesus' longest sermons kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, super long. Mm-hmm. So is the Olivet Discourse. It's Matthew chapters 24 through 25, all of that. And I sent you um, a chart that compares uh, just 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 with the Olivet Discourse that had, I think, like 13 similarities mm-hmm. Um Keener and Brown's book on uh, this had 17. Uh, Another commentator has 30 similarities between 1st and 2nd Thessalonians eschatological teaching and uh, the Olivet Discourse. Like there's so much. Yeah. Okay. You're going to see even um, in the next podcast that we do, at the very beginning of chapter five, which is still one thought, Paul is still talking eschatology with, with them in chapter five, verse one, because Paul's like, and regarding these times and epics as to the day of the Lord, like I, no one needs to inform you. No one needs to remind you because you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You know what he's quoting there? The day of the Lord will come like a thief of the in the night. He's quoting the Olivet Discourse. And yeah. Jesus says his he will come like a thief. He says the, the parousia will come like a thief in the night. Jesus does. So Paul is just continuing to pull from the Olivet Discourse. That's what Bruce is saying. And it makes a ton of sense as we will see in just a minute. Okay. Okay? Does this all make sense? Yeah. Paul is just continuing to teach what his teacher taught him. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the Bruce quote, this tradition speaks of the coming of the Lord as his parousia. That's coming or presence, arrival, advent. Okay. And it represents it as taking place from or in heaven, accompanied by angels and announced by a trumpet blast. The Thessalonians, the Thessalonian Christians had presumed had presumably been taught much of this tradition, but were not sure how their departed friends figured into the program. So this is really good because in the Olivet discourse you don't see what happens to the dead. It's not explicitly stated what happens to the dead in Christ, mm-hmm. those who had already died. So they're like, okay, we've been studying that Olivet Discourse just like you've taught us. You know, We're familiar with that, but we don't know what happens to the dead in Christ. What happens to them when the Lord returns? this make sense? Yeah. Okay. Any questions? No, I
1: don't have any questions.
0: All right. So for now, what we're going to do is like start looking at this word parousia, how Paul uses it, and uh, how it correlates to that Olivet tradition discourse. Okay. Okay? Olivet discourse. So this word parousia to be present, to arrive, um, the advent. Um, it's the royal visit of an emperor or king. Um, in Second Peter, Peter uses it to describe the first advent when Jesus came in glory and Peter saw him come in glory on the holy mountain when a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in him, in whom I am well pleased. When did Peter see that? A voice come from heaven.
1: Uh, Jesus' baptism?
0: The transfiguration.
1: Oh, <laughs> whoops. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like Peter says, that was the parousia. And it was, it was part of the first advent. Mm -hmm. Jesus came, the Lord really came as the king, Mm -hmm. as a little baby. And then he stayed on earth for what is believed to be like 33 years. So that advent lasted a long time and had some very, Um, uh, defining moments in it. One of those being his baptism, one of those being the transfiguration, another one being the crucifixion, another one being the resurrection. Like those were major markers, major moments of the first advent. And so some commentators... Like uh, Charles Cooper talk about how the second advent, the second coming, is also not necessarily just one day, just one like 24-hour moment, or whatever, but it can also, like, encompass a long period of time and have some different stages to it, but still be a very visible thing, which is interesting. So just some stuff to keep in mind, okay? But it is the the true, personal, visible presence of the king. Okay? All right, so let's go to Matthew 24. So what I'd like you to do, Steph, because this is almost certainly the tradition that Paul is pulling from, we're gonna look at verses 21 to 31. And there are a few times that uh, this word parousia is used um, a couple of times, but um, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, go for it.
1: For then there will be great tribulations, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other.
0: All right. So first we got this great tribulation, and then you got false cries, false prophets. Then there's verse lightning. twenty, verse twenty-seven, which is really interesting, saying that the coming of the Son of Man, the parousia, is going to be visible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As lightning flashes from one point in the sky to the other,
1: mm-hmm.
0: everybody's going to see him. Yeah then 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, which earlier in Matthew in verse 21, it says there's gonna be tribulation like never before and never after, like it's gonna be the worst, okay? And after the tribulation of those days, you got the sun being darkened, moon being darkened, stars falling from the sky and the heavens are shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man appears in the sky. All the tribes of the earth mourn. The Son of Man comes in the... Clouds. Comes in the clouds. He sends forth his... Angels. Right? And there's a great...
1: Trumpet blast.
0: Right? And then he gathers his... Elect. All right. Now in 1 Thessalonians 4, you have the Lord descending from heaven... -hmm. With this great shout, with the voice of Archangel, right? And with a great trumpet, right? And then you have a resurrection. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now that seems like new information. Yeah. Okay. Now that's in the Old Testament about there being a resurrection of the dead, but that's not in the Olivet discourse. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. But then you have the elect being gathered because verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be the, with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now it's interesting that Paul, now, so I've I've encountered, I've been in, in like conversations or like debates or whatever with folks that are saying, 1 Thessalonians 4 is like the rapture, but Matthew 24 is the return. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're the same event. Right. Okay. You have the resurrection of the dead happening uh, with the return of Jesus coming in the clouds. Okay. With the trumpet blast. Okay. Um, and notice that Paul is saying that we who are alive and remain, we remain until the parousia, until the coming. We who are alive and remain until the coming. In Matthew 24, the coming happens. After the tribulation of those days, Paul says, we who remain until the coming. So if you put that together, what that means is Paul believes believers are going to remain on earth until the second coming, which means he believes believers are going to remain on earth through the reign of the Antichrist. And he says that that's how we comfort people. That right before the destruction of the earth, we're caught up.
1: Yeah. I could see a lot of people that's not going to be comforting too, though. Because obviously, I mean, we grew up like Southern Baptist and there's a whole lot of the I mean, I don't know if it's still as commonly taught, but it was. I remember when the Left Behind books were a big thing, and that theology is still very common, even though it's not. It's a lot harder to back up biblically. So, but yeah.
0: No, no, no. I'm sorry.
1: Oh yeah, just that it, it is more. That is comforting to a lot of people. Like you're going to miss out on the tribulation. So, thank God.
0: But, okay. So, so go to Second Thessalonians
1: mm-hmm.
0: and go to chapter one, and then you got some more comforting language. Okay, mm-hmm. when does God give relief to believers? Okay, let's just keep that keep that question in your mind, because here in First Thessalonians four, you see relief coming. Relief comes for believers when the Lord comes in the clouds. Okay. Right? The mm-hmm. resurrection of the dead happens, Lord comes in the clouds with the trumpet blast, and then we're caught up together to meet him at the parousia, right? That's mm-hmm. when relief comes. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, when does relief come for believers? So, Steph, read verse 6 through uh 10.
1: and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed.
0: All right. When do we get relief? And that word is used. Verse seven. Yeah. When do we get relief?
1: We're going to be when the angels come. (laughs) When When Jesus Jesus is revealed with the angels.
0: Dealing out.
1: Vengeance. yeah,
0: Yeah. On that day, on that day, when he sends people to eternal destruction, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. So then you think to yourself, who's in the lake of fire right now? Because that's the eternal destruction. Who's in the lake of fire right now? Nobody. Lake of fire doesn't happen until after Jesus comes back. So that is the ultimate wrath of God. I'm giving spoiler alerts, by the way, for uh, next podcast. That's the wrath of God, the final wrath of God. Do believers go to the lake of fire? Yeah. I guess we're saved from wrath, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I one of the commentaries I was looking at was talking about how um, the the line that talks about like encouraging one another with this. It was talking about how like basically, I mean, this is maybe taking a little bit of a stretch, but it was like, this is a very divisive topic, but it should be one that's, that's comforting and it should be one that's uniting us. And um, I thought that was a kind of an interesting take on that. Like this, this should be bringing comfort like you're talking about, but it does create a lot of division, and I think if you look at the Bible as a whole, and if you're looking at it simply and you're not coming in with a whole bunch of other ideas, you're probably more likely to walk away with a similar conclusion, but it is, you know, a lot. everything in life is shaped by what we've heard and what we've learned about, whether that's from a pastor or from a book or whatever
0: yeah and Paul is clearly trying to prepare them to endure suffering and to the to the very end to the to Jesus' physical visible return. That's when you're going to get comfort. That's when you're going to get relief. and you can definitely bet on it to comfort each other with these words. Mm. And death is not the end. It's just sleep for the believer, you know. Yeah. It's it's like sleep. It's not it is not sleep, but it's like sleep. Yeah. You're going to wake up and you're going to wake up refreshed like you've never been refreshed before like mm-hmm. an incredible morning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I really like that phrase like or that idea of like grieving with hope. Yeah. Like I think that's we've we've had a lot of people and I mean that I've known recently or that are connected with, there's just been a lot of loss. And it is, that is comforting that, you know, that there is something beyond this life and there's going to come a time where they're going to be resurrected.
0: Mm. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about hope again. And what does he tie the Christians hope to? You want me to read it? Do you remember? What is... Of course, Corinthians 15, all about, it's all about resurrection. Mm-hmm. First, if Christ has not been raised, we have no hope and we should be pitied, pitied. beyond everyone else mm-hmm. or above everyone else. We should be pitied. But in fact, the dead, but in fact, Jesus has been raised. So let's continue with that thought and read uh, verse 20 through 24 and we're going to continue with some parousia stuff okay so first Corinthians 15 verse 20 through 24.
1: But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to christ then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to god the father after destroying every rule and every authority and power
0: all right so at Jesus's parousia what happens the dead are right,
1: res- they're resurrected
0: yeah, they're resurrected and then the end comes. First the resurrection of the dead, then the end comes. And that happens at the parousia. Now according to Matthew, that happens after the tribulation of those days. After the worst of the worst of the worst happens. After the sun has been darkened and the moon doesn't give his light, it's light and the, the stars have fallen from the sky, the powers of heavens are shaken. All of that, then the parousia happens and the dead are raised. So that's interesting. Now we've we've seen the word parousia um, in First Thessalonians previously. Okay, we've seen it in the concept of Jesus's return in every single chapter. And we're not going to go through every occurrence of this word in First Thessalonians, but we'll hit a couple, okay? Uh, Steph, can you please read for us First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19?
1: For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you?
0: All right. Now, we talked a lot in one of our previous episodes about how at the parousia, at his coming, there's going to be dealing out of rewards, mm-hmm. right? There's judgment that happens there. The Didache talked about that as well, All right? So there you go. All right, let's go to the next chapter, okay? So the next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 3, can you read for us verse 12 and 13.
1: And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints.
0: All right. When does Jesus come with all his saints? Right? I mean, it's yeah. 1 Thessalonians 4 at the Parousia. You have this language again. Jude, I think it's Jude fourteen. So I mean, it's this is when Jesus returns, and we're gonna hit this a little bit more at the very, very, very end. But um, yeah, Uh, let's. um, Well, we've already done Second Thessalonians chapter two verses one through five, but at the Parousia before the Parousia, we have. Um, the apostasy that comes, the man of lawlessness is revealed, and you have just the working of Satan like never before, just incredible signs and false wonders that are going on. This is what Second Thessalonians chapter two talks about, and then the Parousia happens. The Lord is revealed from heaven, who destroys. The, um the Antichrist at his appearing okay so that's interesting which you you see also happen at in Revelation chapter 19 at Jesus's appearing let's let's go ahead and read that can you read that for me can you read uh verses like seven and eight say it again yeah uh second Thessalonians chapter two can you read like verses seven and eight
1: For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming.
0: All right. So what happens at the parousia? Well, at the parousia, the Antichrist is destroyed Right then. So it's not at the parousia. Then if the parousia is the rapture, according to like dispensational theology, then you have seven years. And the Antichrist may not even like really come on the scene for several of those years. Yeah. Like in in a really huge way. So maybe he will, maybe he won't, but like, 2 Thessalonians 2 says, at the parousia, right then, the Lord is going to destroy the Antichrist. That's amazing. By his coming. So, I mean, that would also be a comfort, right? To believers who, if they're being persecuted by the Antichrist, then that would be a huge comfort and relief that, hey, we are like caught up and... Jesus destroys him. Make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So let's look at just a couple more things. When does the resurrection of the dead happen? When does the resurrection of the dead happen? Let's remind ourselves um, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, Okay. The timing of the resurrection, when does that happen? Can you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17?
1: Yeah. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord.
0: Okay, so we'll use the Latin word rapture for caught up, okay? And we'll use the word resurrection for the dead in Christ will rise, okay? Okay. Which happens first, the resurrection of the dead in Christ or the rapture of the church?
1: The resurrection.
0: Mm. Yep. That's important. That's really important because in the dispensational theology, the rapture happens. Mm. The rapture happens first. So... Let's look at Daniel chapter 12, okay? I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 12 because this is perhaps like the clearest description of the resurrection in the uh, Old Testament. There are several of them in the Old Testament, but this is like off the charts explicit, okay? So Daniel chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. Now, just to put this in a little bit of context, at the end of chapter 11, you see what is probably the Antichrist being resurrected from the dead, okay? You see the abomination of desolation happen, and then you probably see what is the Antichrist being raised from the dead. Just so you know. That's the end of chapter 11, like right at the very, very, very end of chapter 11. Then you have Daniel 12. It's important because Daniel 12 starts with at that time. Mm -hmm. So at what time? Well, that's this is not like a break in thought. This is continuation of thought from chapter 11, the previous verse. Okay, go ahead.
1: At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found in the written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt." and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever
0: all right now did you notice some um all of that discourse language and then there will be a time of
1: uh did it say struggle Trou- trouble i think it says
0: uh-huh that's the same idea mm-hmm. tribulation as never before and never will be yeah jesus is pulling In the Olivet Discourse, he's pulling from Daniel Mm. right there, okay? And then you have, after that time...
1: Everybody's resurrected.
0: A resurrection. Yeah. You have a resurrection after that time. Mm -hmm. So, that corresponds with Paul. Yeah. Paul kind of weaves Daniel and, and Jesus together, Mm-hmm. He's taking the resurrection that's found in Daniel and he's putting it in the olivet discourse yeah does that make sense mm-hmm. he's showing the timing of that for believers
1: you know I think with um a lot of the idea of being raptured before tribulation like i mean it seems like that that's that doesn't line up with scripture i mean i would I would love to be spared suffering but this thought like keeps popping in my head of like you know the am i hoping in Jesus or am i hoping in not suffering <laughs> and um you know we're we are going to suffer in so many ways like Jesus did you know if he suffered we should expect to suffer and I, that's not comforting but it's what is the lasting thing that we are we're most concerned about, like where am I going to be dealing with everlasting contempt or uh, what does it say the opposite other than everlasting, oh, just everlasting life. So yeah, I'd rather have everlasting life, (laughs) but don't look forward to necessarily the suffering along the way.
0: Yeah. Now let's get to our last main question. So this last question, something we've already kind of touched on, which is when does the Lord Jesus come with all his holy ones or all his saints? Now, 1 Thessalonians 3 says it happens at the parousia, the coming, he comes with all his saints, okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 says the Lord at his parousia comes with the dead in Christ, right? And then we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the air. So we're always with the Lord. So then all the holy ones, all the saints together, those who were in him before his parousia and those who were still in him alive on earth at the parousia, all together with the Lord in the air. Okay? Coming down. When does the Lord Jesus come with all his holy ones and the saints? So I just want to do a little bit of revelation. Okay. Now I'll read the long one and you read the short one. Sound right. good? Sounds good. You're going to have Revelation 17:12 through 14. And that's going to be second. Revelation 17:12 through 14.
1: Okay.
0: I'm going to do Revelation 19, 11 through 19. Okay. So this is the... Um, final return of Jesus passage. Okay. Because I think there are several in Revelation, several return of Jesus passages. This is the final one. It says, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. So you have the armies of heaven following him. Is that just angels? Who's in the armies of heaven that are following him, that are with him? Who's fighting with him? That's interesting. So you have Yahweh Sava'ot, the Lord of angel armies, you know, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that's coming. Who's in the armies of heaven? All right. From his mouth, verse 15, comes a sharp sword so that with it, he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the wine press of the fierce wrath of God, the almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds, which fly in mid heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders of the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and the small and the great. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Okay, so that's one picture there of the return of Jesus with his army, the armies of heaven clothed in white. Okay, and who are they fighting against? Who has come to make war against the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and Lord of Lords? It's the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies. All right, so who's with the Lord? who's part of the armies of heaven to fight the beast and the armies of the earth. So here's verse or sorry, revelation 17 verses 12 through 14.
1: And the 10 horns that you saw are the 10 Kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as Kings for one hour together with the beast. They are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful.
0: Who's with him?
1: The elect. Mm. Who's that? All believers.
0: Yeah, in Matthew 24 the elect, he gathers the elect together with him. All the angels gather him up. And there's some kind of resurrection that happens right then. Right before the war happens, there's some kind of resurrection that takes place where Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, mortality has to be done away with and immortality is put on. The earthly body is done away with and the heavenly body takes its shape. The eternal heavenly body. So we're given some kind of body that's in conformity with the Lord's body like his to then go make war against the Antichrist and all the armies of the earth. That's wild to think about. Mm -hmm. So we not only get this brand new like body like Jesus, but we become part of the armies of heaven.
1: It's crazy.
0: To fight. We fight like legit fight with Jesus. All right. Well, any uh, closing thoughts before we wrap it up?
1: I mean, I just, (laughs) it's a crazy thought to think about fighting with Jesus. Like, just knowing my personality and not really much for fighting. Don't really feel like I have this, you know, desire for that. But I guess it's different in this situation. It must be.
0: This is going to be the legitimate holy war. Because these people have legitimately come to make war on God. Mm. This is the end. This is the final judgment. This is it. Like... The final earthly judgment, like, yeah. And so just like God is called faithful and righteous and all that stuff, like you've been transformed at this point. And so your mind, you think exactly like Jesus. And so you're seeing this very justly and righteously. Mm -hmm. And this this is the holy war of all holy wars. Like this is finally getting to be played out. And you are seeing Satan's legitimate, like like for real, Satan's offspring down there. And that's who you're going to make war on. Yeah. So let's close this with uh, the Didache. So again, guys, this is the early Christian, the earliest early Christian statement of eschatological belief, you know, outside of the New Testament. So we'll just end with this. In the last days, false prophets and corruptors will multiply and the sheep will turn into wolves and love will be turned into hate. As lawlessness increases, men will hate and persecute and betray one another. And then the deceiver of the world will appear as a son of God and he will do signs and wonders and the earth will be delivered into his hands. He will commit abominations which have never been since the world began. Then all mankind will come to the fire of testing and many will fail and perish. But those who endure in their faith will be saved by him who was accursed. And then shall the signs of the truth appear. First, a sign of a rift in the heavens, then a sign of a voice of a trumpet, and thirdly, The resurrection of the dead. Yet not of all, but as it was said, the Lord shall come and all his saints with him. Then shall the world see the Lord coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and dominion to repay each man according to his works with justice before all men and the angels.
2: Watchmen's cry, wake brethren, wake, Jesus our Lord is nigh, wake brethren, wake.